1: Matthew chapter number four, and begin reading at verse one. I'm going to read all the way down through uh, from verse one down through verse eleven. So if you'll just bear with me this morning, when Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted the devil, and when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward in hunger. And when the tempter came to him, everybody say when the tempter came. Say that again. When the tempter came, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones be made bread. If thou be the Son of God. See, the devil doesn't come to you and say what you're not. He just questions what you claim. And if you don't know who you are, He'll mess your mind up. Amen. If thou be the Son of God, command these stones be made bread. Verse 4, but he answered and said, it is written, this is in red, this is Jesus speaking, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Verse 5, then the devil taketh him up. Into the Holy City. Taketh Him up into the Holy City. Set Him on the pinnacle of the temple. See, the devil knows where church is. And the devil has access to church. He even has access to the high places in church. The devil taketh Him into the holy city and to the pinnacle of the temple. That's the very highest part. And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. See, the devil knows Scripture, too. He he just knows it the wrong way. Beware of people that can quote Scripture but don't know Scripture. There's a big difference between being able to quote Scripture and know Scripture. I use this analogy, and I think it's very fitting. Just because someone can count to a thousand doesn't mean they know what two plus two is. Just because somebody can quote it don't mean they know it. Perfect example right here. Look at what Jesus says in verse number seven. I love Jesus for many, many, many reasons, an infinite number of reasons, but one of the reasons I love Jesus because He's got swag. I don't know if that translates, Brother Roberto, but he has got swag. He, I mean, the way he says things, he just verbally, just, I mean, he just backhanded the devil. Look at this. Jesus said unto him, it is written, again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. In other words, he just said, you quoted some scripture. Let me quote you some scripture. You're not allowed to tempt your God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him the glory. Everybody say the glory of the kingdoms of the world. Show him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them saith unto him, all these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. There was a negotiation that was happening. They were at the table negotiating on the top of the mountain. And Satan said to Jesus, if you'll just bend your knee and you will worship me. I will give you the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. Then, saith Jesus unto him, get thee hence. Sometimes you got to quit talking with devils and tell them to start stepping. See, some of y'all just want to keep arguing with devils. Say, I've never seen a devil. I'm talking about the one in the mirror. You want to argue. You want to argue with people at the some Jesus three times that was it. Don't waste your time with people who don't want Jesus. They're being devil's advocates. Three times, and he walks. He says, for it is written. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and only Him shalt thou serve. I've, for many years, read this passage of Scripture, and something very fascinating about this Scripture stands out to me, and that was the fact that Satan was willing to surrender all the kingdoms of the world, past, present, and future, and their glory. And I want to preach on this, something Satan will never give up. There's one thing he didn't put on the table. There's one thing he never offered, and I want to preach about that this morning. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your presence, for the anointing that we feel, for the liberty and the victory that is evident in the atmosphere. And I pray this morning that you would touch every heart, every mind, every spirit, give understanding. Lord, I pray enlightenment and revelation in this place. But more than anything, Lord, I pray that every hungry heart and every searching soul would respond to your word accordingly today, that every saint and sinner alike would reach into the spirit world and affirm your word in this place today. And everyone said amen. Would you give the Lord another praise this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, go ahead and give him praise. Hallelujah, 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 amen. Look at somebody as you're being seated and tell them there's something Satan will never give up. Amen, I'm fascinated by the story of Jesus in the early part and uh, the beginning of his adult ministry as he is going into the wilderness In verse 1, it tells us that he was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness. And most of us are comfortable with that phrase, that he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, this wilderness was not like our wilderness here in California. Our wilderness is beautiful. Um, I wouldn't mind being led into this wilderness for 40 days Amen. If I had my ways, I'd, I'd, I'd do that quite often. But the wilderness of this place was an arid, dry, hot, barren desert. And the Bible says, and I want to make this emphatically clear, that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. And I think we're comfortable with that statement. That the Spirit will sometimes lead us into the wilderness. I I think there's, there's some level of acceptance of that statement. We don't want to be in the wilderness, but we understand sometimes we're going to have to go places that we necessarily wouldn't want to go. Sometimes we're going to walk places that we necessarily wouldn't want to walk. And our idea of wilderness is going to be a little different than God's idea. Of wilderness, Amen. I'm, I'm going to go somewhere with this, so just hold on to me for a minute. We're okay with that, but but we're not okay with believing that God's Spirit would lead us into a place that would make us uncomfortable, and and let's be quite honest, make us quite miserable. We we are under the false assumption in this postmodern world that the reason God saved us is to make our life comfortable. And there couldn't be anything further from the truth. God is not looking for you to be miserable, but there are seasons in your life that His Spirit will lead you to a place where you are no longer comfortable. Amen. Our whole life is about being comfortable. We took those things that once were luxury, and we made them a necessity. And from necessity, we made them luxury. Does that make sense? A hundred years ago, a car was luxury. Then when Henry Ford made it available to the common folks like us, then it became a necessity. You you need a car. You need a car to get around. I mean, uh, you couldn't just ride a horse. Down to uh, Walmart, anyway, which, uh, tragically enough. Because I would love to ride my horse to Walmart, amen, and to everywhere else. I, I, I would love that. I mean, that, that's just me, though. Um, I, I would love to get around like that, but, but I was born out of, out of time, you know. I, I, I enjoy, but I also enjoy my pickup truck. I do I do enjoy driving 80 miles an hour too. Can't do that on a horse, amen. And and so there that that become now a necessity. That that everybody everybody needs one, amen. Most people have one or have access to one. And then because it became an, uh, uh, from a luxury uh, or from um, a luxury to a necessity, then we take that necessity and we make it we make it so above and beyond Amen. It's not just a vehicle that will get you there anymore. Now it needs to have, now it needs to have heated and cooled seats. It's, and because I, I can remember growing up being in a lot of vehicles that didn't have A.C. in them. And people were still glad to have them. Now if somebody has a car that don't have A.C., they don't feel blessed. They feel cursed. Stay with me. I, got, I need a long runway this morning. If their car doesn't have AC in it, then it's just a pile of junk and it's not worth anything. But it still gets you where you need to go. We we allow the amenity that is a luxury to become part of that which we feel is the necessity. But it still gets you there. Got a backup camera in our cars now. Cars that parallel park by themselves. And some of y'all ought to say thank you, Jesus, because couldn't parallel park to save your life. But you can push that button and that car will park itself. Amen. And, and heated and cooled seats and cruise control and all of these different things. Now, now that is the average in a vehicle. That you need. The average vehicle 10 years ago, the technology of a 10 year old vehicle from 10 years ago is more technologically advanced than the Apollo 13 shuttle that landed on the moon. Far more advanced, far more advanced, more power. More computing power. More technological advances in that. And here we are riding around in machines that are more complex than the rockets that took Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin to the moon. I'm I'm, I'm talking about those things that now we say is miserable if we don't got a backup camera. Or the AC or the heated seats. Now they got massaging seats I don't really think that's a good idea I sit in a massaging chair to relax when I relax I fall asleep not the best thing to do when you're riding along at 75 miles an hour but if you got a Tesla it'll drive itself and let me help you Tesla drivers get out of the left lane when it's on self-drive and that goes for everybody, not driving above the speed limit, get out of the left lane. That's the gospel truth, amen. amen. Quit holding us all up, jamming up traffic. Left lane's not for driving, it's for passing, hallelujah. I feel the anointing right now, praise God. <laughs> Talking about that which was necessity, but when we have those things, we are no longer comfortable. One of the first trucks I had was a was a stick shift, but it was three-column shift. We, we had three gears, we shifted on the column. The dimmer switch was in the floor, had a button on the floor to dim your high beams. And, and, and I don't know if you know, but uh, in Oklahoma, they're now putting all the dimmer switches back on the floor because all the Okies keep getting their feet caught in the steering wheel. <laughs> that's, that's I know i know got some Oklahoma friends watching right now. I couldn't help it. It's, it's a rivalry that goes back 150 years. You just have to believe me on that. I mean, we, we shifted there. Dimmers and high beams on the floor. And, and, and my first pickup was a 1980 1500 Chevy Silver, Silverado two-tone brown. And, and still at my dad's house in a field right now. And I love that truck. But as much as I love it, I wouldn't want to drive it every day because it don't have cold AC. It don't have a backup camera. It don't have cruise control. It don't have blind side detection. It doesn't have folding mirrors. It doesn't have economy fuel mode. Sometimes God's gonna put you in areas in your life that brings you out of your comfort zone and things that you are comfortable with and you've gotta learn that not every uncomfortable place in your life is because God is against you. Sometimes God is going to lead you into places where you're not comfortable because it's there he's trying to use you. Amen. Amen, I feel the Holy Ghost here. As a matter of fact, God will not only lead you to places that are uncomfortable, but he is also willing to put you in situations that make you miserable because in that misery he is trying to get you to turn to him and not yourself and not to Facebook or Snapchat. He, he's trying to turn you to him. I wonder what would happen if all of us that are born again believers would turn to an altar to talk to God and complain and go to the Lord to cast our cares rather than social media. How much God could change the situation in our life. Amen. Too many of us have have exchanged altars for a Facebook account. We've exchanged uh, prayer rooms for Twitter. We've exchanged, uh, amen, seeking the face of God to seeking the approval and the advice of everyone else. Uh, Sometimes you're in the desert not because you did anything wrong but because you're doing everything right. Uh, And in that desert place uh, is where God is trying to take you from one glory to the next glory and if you're willing to submit to the will of God yes it's going to be uncomfortable yes it's going to be hot yes there's going to be days of misery yes the tempter's going to come but if you know in whom you have believed you can have confidence that he knows what he's doing I heard one man say who, who less than a year after their twins were born His wife tragically died of cancer, and one of the first things he said after her death was, I have finally found the true definition of trusting God, and he said, and it is simply this, trusting God means that no matter what happens, God has my best interest in mind. Amen, some of us don't even, we don't even get to the desert, we just get to where there's not enough green and we panic. We're somewhat comfortable with the statement he was led of the spirit into the desert, into the wilderness. But we're definitely uncomfortable with the finishing part of that scripture where it says that he was led of the spirit into the wilderness for a purpose. And that was to be tempted by the devil. Well, God would never lead me to be tempted of the devil. You don't know what you are until you are tested. The only way to gauge what a student has learned is by putting them through a test. We don't know that you know what you say you know until you have to sweat it out in a test. You can say you know multiplication, division. You can say you know biology and chemistry. You can say you know all of these subjects, but the only way a good teacher knows that you have not only comprehended it, but that you know how to process and apply that information. It's to get you somewhere uncomfortable and a testing place where the questions are difficult and there is no help and there is no cheat sheet, and there is no book for you to reference back to, but the teacher, a good teacher, is knowing that she or he trusts that what they put in you, if you have listened, if you have studied, if you have done the work, if you have put in the effort, a good teacher trusts that what they put in you, in the testing, is going to come out of you. Amen. And a good teacher don't talk during the test. Amen. A, you raise your hand, a good teacher will ignore you. I was that kid in school during test. I had my hand up like this. And when they wouldn't answer... I'd hold my hand up till my fingers turned blue. But a good teacher, a good teacher ignored me. She knew my hand was up. She knew I was stuck on the problem, but she also had confidence that if I would just think a little bit harder, that answer would come to me eventually. And if they ever did speak, which was very rare, they would say something like, go to the next question and then come back. Some of y'all waste so much time living for God because you're hung up on one thing. I I said some of y'all just hang out at one level. You, you, You never you never exceed, you never go above, you you never get beyond, you stay at that one thing and because that is your pay up, that is the one thing you can't go, you won't advance any further and here's what God is saying, there are other tests that are on, questions that are in the test, if you'll move along, sometimes I have found out that the answer to question five is found in question seven, so I... My Lord, this ain't even in my notes, but I'm going to preach it this morning. If some of you would just start advancing and living for God, quit getting hung up on this. If you'll just obey the Word of God and just keep moving on, a lot of times your questions are going to be answered if you'll just keep taking the test. Go ahead and give the Lord some praise this morning. Amen. Well, that's, that's not a part of my notes, but it didn't cost you anything. Quit getting caught up. Well, I don't understand it. Some things you'll never understand. Some things you'll never understand. Some things, like the old song says, you'll understand better by and by. In other words, that was the way the old folks politely said, "Quit freaking out about things that don't matter." Just, just keep going. I can't tell you, and I thank God, for good teachers at me. you think teachers are better at being a teacher than God is at being God? Some of you are are, are flailing your arm around like this. You're going, God, oh my God. And God's not answering. God's not responding. God's not, feels like God's ignoring you. Feels like you're out in the middle of a desert all by yourself. And and we start throwing a fit and getting upset saying, but if God really loved me, he'd hear my prayer. If God really loved me, there'd be money in my account. If God really loved me, I'd get that promotion. If God really loved me, this person wouldn't talk bad about me. me. If God really loved me, if God really loved me, If God really loves, and God's just sitting over there the whole time going, if you would close your mouth about your situation and open your mouth in prayer, I really do feel like God is trying to speak to some people here this morning because the fact that God is not speaking to you does not mean that God is mad at you and because God is not moving on you does not mean that God has abandoned you. Quit reading into the silence of God as God's disfavor in your life. The silence of God is God's ultimate compliment to your ability to serve the wilderness he led you into. If God is being quiet, you ought to shout hallelujah. He's got confidence in me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. I may not be on your street, but I'm in your zip code right now. But even Job said that. Job, Job said, that. Job said, Job said, where is God? And I mean, he didn't have somebody at work talking bad about him. He didn't, he didn't have a bounce check. He didn't have a car that needed a front tire replaced and didn't have money to replace it. He didn't have somebody that wouldn't like their post on social media. Would some of y'all need to quit being obsessed with that stuff? Going there and checking all the lights, make sure who gave you the lights and the loves and all that stuff. If you—if that's the, you need to get off social media for a while, because you are obsessing over acceptance. But see, Job went through a little trial like this. Um, all his kids died at once. He lost everything at once while he lost his kids. AND THEN HIS HEALTH WENT DOWN. AND HE SAYS, I WISH I KNEW WHERE GOD WAS. I WISH I KNEW WHERE HE WAS. I WOULD GO TO HIS FACE AND PLEAD MY CASE. HE SAID, BUT I CAN'T FIND HIM. HE SAID, I I, I WENT ON the, THE LEFT HAND WHERE HE'S WORKING. I WENT ON THE RIGHT HAND, I WENT TO CHURCH. HE WAS WORKING, HE WAS MOVING ON EVERYBODY, BUT HE WASN'T MOVING ON ME. THAT'S WHAT JOB SAID. He said, I watched him work in everybody else. I saw him answering everybody else, but he wouldn't answer me. And then Job made this profound statement. He said, but he knoweth the way that I take. In other words, I don't know the way he takes, but he knows the way I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as pure gold. In other words, Job said it like this. I got my hand in the air and the teacher is answering everybody else but me. I've got my hand in the air because I'm stuck on a problem and the teacher is responding to everybody else but me. But Job said it like this. You know what? After all my complaining and after all my whining and if anybody had a legitimate reason to complain, it would have been Job. And Job said, after all of my petitioning, after all my unanswered prayers, after no response, to my cries here's why I've come to this conclusion he can answer everybody else I don't know why he's doing what he's doing I wish he would do it my way but he's not but here's what I do know he knows right where I am and when he gets done being God with everybody I'm going to let him move it Somebody needs to hear that this morning. You haven't gotten every prayer prayer answered you wanted. You've not gotten every miracle that you're seeking for. But guess what? Just because you don't get what you want doesn't mean he's not God anymore. And oftentimes he's leading you into the wilderness because he's trying to teach you something. AND HE WANTS WHAT'S IN YOU TO COME OUT OF YOU, AMEN, AMEN. A LOT OF PEOPLE LOST OUT WITH GOD IN 2020 OVER THE PANDEMIC, BUT THEY DIDN'T LOSE OUT WITH GOD BECAUSE OF THE PANDEMIC, THEY HAD ALREADY LOST OUT WITH GOD, WHAT WAS IN THEM CAME OUT OF THEM DURING TESTING, I'VE SAID WHAT WAS IN THEM CAME OUT OF THEM IN THE TEST. He was led up of the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And then the Bible said, when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungry. Well, duh. You don't eat 40 days and 40 nights. You're going to be hungry. I, I can go four hours without eating and I start getting hungry. 40 days? 40 nights? AND THE BIBLE SAID HE WAS HUNGRY, GREATEST UNDERSTATEMENT OF THE YEAR, AND THE DEVIL WAITED UNTIL HE WAS HUNGRY. SEE, THE the DEVIL, HE'S A PRETTY GOOD DEVIL. DON'T GET MAD AT ME. YOU SAY, WELL, HE'S A TERRIBLE DEVIL. WELL, THEN YOU DON'T KNOW GOD, BECAUSE GOD DON'T MAKE TERRIBLE STUFF. HE'S GOD'S DEVIL. And what God does, he does well. So he created the devil to do his job, and the devil does a good job at being the devil. It's just the good job is a bad job. There couldn't be a better devil than the devil because he's the one God made to be the devil. Amen. Can you think of a better devil? (laughs) <laughs> I can't. I think he's done pretty close. But he, he's pretty good at what he does. You see, the devil's been a devil longer than you've been a Christian. And so the devil knows human nature. And he knows how to play on your nature. And that's why after he was hungry, he tempted YOU SEE, THE DEVIL KNOWS HOW TO WAIT UNTIL YOU'RE HUNGRY. AND HE KNOWS WHAT YOU'RE HUNGRY FOR. HE KNOWS WHEN YOU'RE HUNGRY FOR ACCEPTANCE. HE KNOWS WHEN YOU'RE HUNGRY FOR POPULARITY. HE KNOWS WHEN YOU'RE HUNGRY FOR RELATIONSHIP. ALL THE SINGLE FOLKS, LISTEN TO ME. He knows how to wait till you're hungry for a relationship. Then he'll send you a bum or a hussy. Amen. And you'll be so hungry, you'll just grab a hold of them. You'll be so hungry that you'll know something in their life is not quite right, but you're willing to ignore it because you're getting... Friendship and companionship and relationship, and there's a connection, and you know there's some things that aren't just quite right about him or her, but you, you just want companionship so bad you're willing, and you think in the back of well, we'll fix that later, but what you don't realize is that, 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 that right there will mess up your whole life. The devil knows to wait till you're hungry for that promotion. Till you're hungry for that raise or that new job. And then He'll make sure to give you that job where you can't be at church anymore. Oh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching truth this morning. He'll, he'll know how to give you that job so you won't be at church. And you'll call it a blessing. And you'll run the aisles and shout about it and won't we'll see it for weeks. but it's, he knows how to wait till you're hungry. And then the Bible said the first thing that the devil tempted him with was what Jesus was hungry for. Jesus wanted something to eat. He was hungry. He said, command these stones to be turned to bread. Now I'm gonna tell you, bread is the worst thing you can eat coming off a fast. Now I've been on a few fasts. I need to do a few more. But I've been on some fast. The way I grew up fasting, we only had water. I, I remember going on seven-day water only and ten-day water only fast and coming off them things. And you, you better know how to come off them things right. Yeah, I broke one of them on Whataburger one time. I did. I I, I think it was a five-day fast, water only, and I broke it on a number five double bacon cheeseburger and fries at Whataburger. And I'm going to tell you, I would have given up food the rest of my life to take that pain away. And the devil says, why don't you turn these stones to bread? See, although it may sound good, often the thing he's telling you is your solution, while on the surface may be what you think is what you need, if you really think about it, it could be the thing that kills you. When the American soldiers came in and liberated the concentration camps from the Nazis, they inadvertently killed a few Holocaust survivors. You know, you want to know how they did it? They started giving them bread because they were starving to death and emaciated. And their stomachs that had no solid food in weeks and months tried to process that bread and it stopped their heart because they didn't even have enough metabolism and electrolytes in their body to be able to break down the carbohydrates. And they had to do the horrid thing of running into the concentration camps. While starving men, women, and children are grabbing at boxes with bread and they had to take the food away from them for their own good. Go read it. See, oftentimes what the devil is going to tell you is your solution set right on the surface. But don't react when you're hungry. Don't. How many of you learned don't go grocery shopping when you hadn't ate all day? Don't go go to the grocery store when you're hungry. The devil knows what to tempt you with because he's not going to tempt you with something that is obviously sin. It's always going to be a, well, you know, I kind of see that. I'm hungry. Bread sounds good. You haven't eaten 40 days and 40 nights and all you've had is a little bit of water through that. Bread is not only not good, bread could potentially take your life. And the devil knows how to give you what you think you want and what he thinks you think you want. But you've got to have enough spiritual discernment in you to say it's not what I want. But it's what he wants. Hallelujah. He said, Jesus said, it's written, man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I'm not saying that's why Jesus didn't fall for it. Obviously, he knew it was a temptation. But if Jesus would have performed that miracle, it would have been a selfish miracle. And he's not a selfish God. Then the Bible says that Satan took him up to an exceeding high ma- uh, to, to the holy city. Took him to the holy city. And he didn't just take him to church. He took him to the highest point in church. To the pinnacle of the temple. I want to tell you something. Just because you ascend in the church doesn't mean temptation ceases. Matter of fact, the more God blesses you and the more God advances you in the kingdom, the more temptations you're going to have. Some folks look and think that the pastor or the preacher, well, they're just perfect. They have no temptations in their life. You, you don't know. It's not the same temptation I had 20 years ago. He knows how to keep manipulating. And he takes him to the pinnacle this is one of the most fascinating ones to me and he says you know jesus it is written that if you would fall the angels would bear you up lest you should cut your foot even on the stone so cast yourself down and and and, and watch the angels manip-. see see the devil's got a way of manipulating the way god Do this so you can see God do that. Do this and watch God do that. to, to the highest point. Boy, doesn't this sound like the, the postmodern Christian world we live in? Just throw yourself down, Grace will catch you. We're all just sinners anyway. Go, go ahead. It's, it's just a little white lie. It's just a little bit of cheating. That's go, what grace is for. Just throw yourself down. I mean, after all, how are you going to see angels unless you do it? I mean, how are you going to see grace unless you have sinned? We have a church, the largest church in Backerville preach this abounding grace doctrine. Started teaching if you want to see grace in your life, you gotta sin. It's damnable. It's heresy. You want to see great grace in your life, then go commit great sin. That's what they taught. And they quote the scripture where sin doth the ground abound, doth grace much more abound. But the dingbats didn't even finish the scripture. But should we continue in sin? God forbid. Say, so you're being a little harsh. Yeah, when they're de- de- willfully deceiving people, you better believe it. That's the same thing Satan was saying to Jesus. Just throw yourself down. That's what grace is for. If you want to see a demonstration of God, throw yourself down. The higher God lifts you in his kingdom, the more you need to be aware of God's grace and his mercy and the tactic of the enemy to try and get you to see the demonstration he wants you to see rather than what God wants you to have. Then comes the third temptation, which is the most fascinating to me. And my whole message has been really leading me to this point. The Bible says Jesus is now taken by the devil into an exceeding high mountain. We don't know where this mountain is. We don't even know that it was even really, that it was so much significant that it was a literal or a physical location. But that he took him to an exceeding high mountain. Watch this. And the Bible said that the devil put him up on that mountain. And he said, all these kingdoms I will give to you and the glory of them if you will just bow down and pay obeisance to me and worship. Just worship me. Satan, through his deceptive and manipulative demonic power, in an instant took his hand and I believe he pulled back the curtain of time. And he said, Jesus, see all this? From Babylon to Hollywood, I'll give all of it to you. I'll give you the glory and the lights. I'll give you the prestige and the power. All the influence of politicians and dictators. All the glory and the fame of musicians, entertainers, and actors. But all you gotta do, if you want all that glory, and you want all that power, I am willing to surrender that to you if you'll just get on your knees and worship me. And I read that several years ago, and it dawned on me that of all the things that Satan put on the table that he was willing to negotiate for, he was willing to give up Hollywood, He was willing to give up Nashville. He was willing to give up Washington, D.C. He was willing to give up the U.N. He was willing to give up the League of Nations. He was willing to give up the power of the USSR. He was willing to give up the glory of the conquest of Napoleon, a man, and the conquistadors. He was willing to give up the power, all the gold reserves in Fort Knox, uh, all the likes on Instagram, uh, all the stars on Hollywood Boulevard. He was willing to give everything up. He said, I'll surrender to you the power. I'll surrender to you the glory. I will hand you the keys. I will give you the title deed to the kingdoms of this world and the glory of them. But all you got to do is worship me. But there is one thing that Satan was not willing to give up and that was a single solitary soul of mankind. Not one time did Satan say, I'll give you the soul of no amounts if you will worship me. I'll give you the soul of Ruben Ramirez if you'll worship me. I'll give you the soul of Michael Zellers if you will worship me because of all the things that hell is willing to surrender. The one thing he will never give up is the soul of one human. It's the soul of one person because of all the things hell is willing to part with. His most prized possession it's the souls of mankind. And I believe Jesus, if you'll grant me a little bit of liberty, Jesus said, I'm not going to worship you for the glory of the kingdoms. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. He said, you want me to get something? You want me to have something? I feel like preaching this morning. You want to give me something? You're willing to put that on the table? You're willing to put power and prestige on the table? You're willing to put glory and glamour on the table? But the one thing you will not offer me that would actually might be a real temptation, it's the souls that are left in the prisons of hell for all of eternity, the people that are going to die and live in hell for eternity you're not willing to give up their souls I believe Jesus looked at Satan and said buddy you can't tempt me with the glory of this world because I didn't come for glory I didn't come for power I didn't come for prestige but what I have come for is to seek and save that which was lost said you may not give them up you may not want to surrender them but I believe Jesus in other words he looked at the devil and said since you're not willing to negotiate why don't you meet me on an old rugged hill in about three years I'll meet you on Golgotha's mountain and upon that cross I will not negotiate but I will lay down my life and I will spill my blood that I might say Let men free. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost this morning. You won't give it up, Satan, that's fine. I'll purchase it. Ah, but they're worthless, Jesus. Yeah, they are, but I'll take them. Three and a half years later, Brother Nate... At Golgotha's Hill. Jesus didn't need a table. Just a cross. And three rusty nails. For he was wounded for our transgressions. Bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And there was no more negotiating. It was purchasing time. It was redemption time. And when they stretched that body out over that rugged cross and they drove the nails into the precious sinless hands of my Savior and a nail through his feet. You know, hell should have just left him on the ground. If the devil was really smart, he would have just left him on the ground. Because while he was on the ground, there was no purchasing power. Because Jesus declared, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. And hell made its most fatal mistake When those Roman soldiers lifted that cross in the air, it hit in that hole, jarring that broken body. Blood spilled forth out of him. And Jesus said, That's all right, Satan. I know you won't give them. I'll go take them. <laughs> and the Bible said, hanging on that cross, he cried out, It is finished. Blood and spit dripping from his mouth. The last gurgle of oxygen through his lungs as he heaved one more time for that last gasp. Oh, hell wasn't rejoicing. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Because as soon as he gave up the ghost, he descended into hell. That's what the Bible says. And he held a three-night revival. Because Satan wouldn't give it up. I don't know what Jesus said in that revival because it's not recorded. But I know one thing he said. He gave the altar call and said, give me the keys. Give me the keys to death, hell, oh, and the grave. Because I'm fixing to take over the grave. And the Bible said he led captive souls out of captivity. Why? Because Satan was never willing to give up a soul, but Jesus was willing to give up everything that he might redeem us. I feel the Holy Ghost here. Would you close your eyes and lift your hands to the Lord right now? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You see, Satan's never going to be willing to give you up, but Jesus is not willing to let you go either. And so today, When you can't get out, you just get God in because he will turn things around in your life. I've come to maybe you walked away from God. Maybe you've never been saved. Maybe you've never committed a life to service to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm challenging you this morning. Satan will never let go of your soul. He's going to hold on to you with the blackened grip of death. He's going to hold on to your soul with everything he has. He'll bind you and chain of addiction, he will put you in the fetters of shame he will lock you in the prison of your past, but Jesus said there's never been a lock that's ever been made that I don't hold the key to, and there's never been a chain ever fashioned that I'm not able to break and it doesn't matter what you're going through here today, I've come to let you know Satan may not be willing to give you up, but Jesus is willing to get you out I said Satan may not be willing to give you up but Jesus is willing to get you out come on somebody lift their voice to heaven this morning oh I feel something moving first church go ahead and lift that voice to the Lord right now in the name of Jesus In the name of Jesus, I feel somebody in this place right now, you've been struggling with something. Amen, I don't care if you've been saved for 20 years, I feel like I'm preaching to everybody in this place right now. You've had a struggle. Satan is trying to grip a hold of your life. The tempter has come to tempt you, but I've come to tell you it doesn't matter what he tempts you with. Jesus is here to give life and that life more abundantly. preacher what do I got to do well Jesus did his part he didn't just die I'm going to preach about this next Sunday he rose from the grave so he did his part because Satan's never going to give you up you got to want to get out Well, how do I do that? Well, the Bible tells us how to do that. It's not confessing a sinner's prayer because you can't find that anywhere in the Bible. It's not by shaking a preacher's hand or joining a church. You can't find that. But in Acts chapter 2, they asked Peter, what must we do to be saved? And the very next words out of Simon Peter's mouth was to echo the formula that Christ had taught repent, repent of your sins, ask God for forgiveness of your sin, ask him for mercy, ask him to wipe away the sins that you have committed against him and when you have repented, and confessed your sin. Once that's over, that is not salvation because he that believeth and is baptized. Amen. He said repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the removal or the casting away or the blotting out or the taking away or the lifting off of sin in your life. I've come to say thank God if you've repented and I'm thankful for every step you have taken toward God but hear this preacher this morning there's only one biblical way to be baptized, there's only one way that the apostles baptized there's only one way that Jesus taught to be baptized and it was by immersion that is being put under the water and there was only one formula given to be spoken under over baptism and I'm not trying to be confrontational I'm trying to be salvific when I say this they didn't baptize anybody in the Father Son and the Holy Ghost. You can't find that in the Bible. They only baptized them in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus was the only way after Calvary anybody was ever baptized. You may say, Pastor, I was baptized the other way. They said, Father, Son and Holy Ghost, I'm thankful that you had a desire to follow Scripture but now I've got to tell you that if you're going to be baptized in it count the Bible way, you've got to go in the Waters of baptism in the name of Jesus, Amen. You say I've got to be rebaptized. That's not what I said. That's what Paul said in Acts chapter nineteen. When the ba- the disciples of John the Baptist said we were already baptized in John's baptism, and Paul said they were baptized unto repentance. You need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. be baptized in the name that has authority, for neither is there salvation in any other name. For at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. The Bible says, whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of Jesus if you'll pray in jesus name if you'll bless your food in jesus name why wouldn't you be baptized in jesus name there's only one way somebody say one way if we were baptized any other way listen i'm not trying to be i'm not trying to be offensive but if you were baptized any other way but in the name of jesus you went in a dry center and you came out a wet center For it to remove your sin, a name must be applied. Jesus said, Matthew 20, 18, baptizing them, going into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name, singular, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. The name of the Father is Jesus. The name of the Son is Jesus. The name of the Holy Ghost is Jesus. If you need more scripture after church, I can give it to you. That's why the apostles only baptized in Jesus' name. By the way, we have a $10,000 reward if you can find anybody in Scripture baptized using the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So I just think you're being comforted. No, 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 no. Look, eternity is too long to base it upon a man's doctrine. You've got to get it in the Word. Because there's something Satan will never give up, and that's your soul. Then he said, after you're baptized in the name of Jesus, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And they knew what the Holy Ghost was because they heard 120 speaking in tongues, which was the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, if you've been living for God for years, I'm still preaching to you. Because Satan never stops pursuing your soul. I said he never stops pursuing your soul. And you've got to come to a revelation this morning. The only way I get out is staying under the hand of God. Because there's something Satan will never give up. And he'll fight to the death for your soul. Oh, I feel him in this place right now. I feel Jesus in this house right now. In the name of Jesus, I don't know who you are. I don't know which saint or child of God it is. You're in a struggle right now. Satan, you're in a desert place. You're in the wilderness, and the enemy is tempting you. That temptation does not mean you're lost. It does not mean you're backslid. It just means that you need strength this morning. And maybe here in a moment you want to come down, and I pray you will, and we can pray with you, and God give you fresh strength for the desert and the valley that you're in right now. Or maybe you're here this morning, and you know you've repented. Amen. But you don't want to stay in the kingdom of hell. You don't want to stay in the grasp of Satan and you realize this morning that Satan's never going to let you go and religion is never going to let you out but that you need a relationship with Jesus Christ for yourself. Here in just a few moments I'm going to open these altars and I pray that these altars would be flooded with everybody from across this sanctuary. In a moment I'm going to ask you to come down and we're going to repent together. We're going to pray together and I believe somebody can receive the the gift of the Holy Spirit in this place. Amen. Would you lift your hands and begin to pray before we open this altar? Amen. You gotta believe it, you gotta see it, you gotta know it. With everything that hell has, he's pursuing you with every tactic and every tool and every bit of influence he has. He's coming after your soul. But while he's in pursuit, so is God. So is the love of God. It's never gonna abandon you, it's never gonna forsake you. No, the blood of Jesus is still for you today. Oh, I feel him in this place right now. I believe there's somebody today that's going to say, put me in the waters of baptism. I want my sins washed away today. I want to be buried in the name of Jesus like the Bible says. I want to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost like the Bible said in the name of Jesus. Come on, come on, First Church. Lift up that voice and begin to pray with me right now. I'm about to open this altar and there are people praying whether they're going to make that step forward this morning. There are people in this place that are sincerely praying whether they're going to get in the waters of baptism or not, whether they're going to seek God or not. Would you create an atmosphere of liberty right now? Come on. Come on. I need you first, church, to lift up that voice and pray in the Spirit right now because I believe in just a few seconds somebody's life is about to change because what Satan would not give up, Jesus, is about to get out. Come on.